The opposite of a nice guy isn't probably what you're thinking. Because one of the things I've realized in working with a lot of men over the years is that when they first hear about no more Mr. Nice Guy, their tendencies tend to go from one extreme to another. You know, they've, they vow to no longer be a simp or they start setting boundaries like they're wielding a sledgehammer, or maybe they will even resort to sort of the nuclear option at the slightest conflict. They'll be like, you can't talk to me that way. This is the essence of doing the opposite of what they've been doing. And it is a step into the right direction, but what happens is they end up becoming jerks. And the opposite of a nice guy is not a jerk. He's not somebody who's an asshole. And Dr. Glover explains this in No More Mr. Nice Guy. He says the antithesis of the nice guy isn't being a jerk, it's becoming an integrated man. And today we're gonna talk about and delve into the power of the integrated man, what it is, how to achieve it, and most importantly, how to sustain it when we're faced with life's challenges. I'm Chuck Chapman, and I'm joined today with my co-host, Ari and Faisal, and the three of us are certified No More Mr. Nice Guy coaches and dedicated to helping men become the best versions of themselves. So today we're gonna talk about how to be an integrated man, to be the opposite of a nice guy. So Faisal, have you ever worked with or known a nice guy who took sort of the nuclear option or maybe you even took the nuclear option yourself? Absolutely. And, you know, as you were saying that, I was thinking, yeah, I was looking back at my history. Um, I went from someone who was completely unaware to be right on the other side. And when I was thrown into the dating world, I was, you know, like women are attracted to strong men, alpha men. And this is what, you know, it's sold to you. You have to be this kind of certain guy. So what you do is you put on this mask, you put on this persona. It's like, no, you know, no more am I going to get walked over. No more am I going to have any woman tell me what to do. So it went from completely opposite of being a passive, passive-aggressive guy, soft guy, saying yes to women, pleasing women, to being a complete asshole. And, and I see this. In it's a, like a natural reaction a lot of nice guys have because you know we have so much pent up anger resentment bitterness coming out and it's all it all bubbles up and one and and it's like getting a new toy you know like person development psychology is a new toy we get this new toy and then we haven't calibrated or had enough practice how to use it so what we'll do is we'll like you said like a sledgehammer we'll just go hard with it. And then we don't have any calibration of where and how to use this. And because we're easily triggered, uh, so we just go for one. It's like with nice guys, it's usually black or white, nothing in the middle. Yeah, totally. How about you, Ari? Any experience with this? Yeah, I definitely, um, when I was thinking about this topic, I was thinking about when I was still married and I was uh, kind of breaking out of the passivity and just sort of accepting being in the doghouse and, and tiptoeing around my my wife's feelings. Um, and I kind of overcorrected with getting getting angry and controlling and uh, just rageful at one point, especially you know when I found out about her affair, I I just felt justified in be being enraged and you know i remember um 
I mean, I, I was really scared at the time. I was scared that the marriage was going to end. And uh, I, I felt so desperate um, that I, I threatened her affair partner. I don't, I don't know if I ever told you guys this story. No. Um, no. I mean, he, he lived across no. the country, so it wasn't that I could just go over to his house. Get in the car and go over and key his car or something, yeah. No, but I, I, um, I, I threatened to ruin his reputation and, uh, you know, I, I got his, his cell phone number and, you know, so I was, I, I, you know, I sent him just a, a nasty text. I told him I was going to tell everybody in his life about what he did. You know, like I am not a threatening person, but I, I just, I, I was like, I, I I don't have any leverage here, so I'm going to just be scary. Like, mm -hmm. and you guys can be scared, and I don't give a fuck. Mm -hmm. Like, so I, I didn't know who I was at that moment. I was, I just was like, okay, I'm going to be the scary guy and let, let them wonder what I might do. Yeah. Like, what you know, really so capable of what, what am I really capable of? So, um, it felt weirdly powerful. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I, I, I mean, I, I just was feeling so aggrieved at the time I felt justified in doing it, but it, it felt like a really alien thing to me. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, that, that's an example of how I overcorrected. I, I wouldn't do that now. Yeah. Um, but at the time I was just, uh, I was, I felt crazy. Yeah, no, I can relate to that too. And you know, both you guys bring up a really excellent point about this, um, the idea of anger. And I think that the nice guy represses his anger. That's one of those pieces he thinks that people will find unlovable and acceptable about himself. And so as nice guys, we repress our anger and typically it kind of leaks out in passive aggressive ways, you know, showing up late or doing a half-assed job or, you know, saying we're going to do something and then not following through. But I think when you unleash that, that it becomes this almost monstrous, rageful in, in Ari can relate to your story. You know, when my, when my wife first left me, I was absolutely enraged and, um, you know, didn't know what to do with the rage. Uh, I didn't, I didn't threaten anybody, but I certainly could have, if there had been somebody there, uh, to threaten. But I think that that's such a great point of that we feel like the opposite of the nice guy is I've been repressing my rage. And so I'm not going to do the opposite, which is unleash my rage. And I remember like the first time I went into therapy, I remember my therapist talking about anger and in, in how angry I was. And this was before I had, uh, you know, was divorced before all of this happened. And I knew that he was right. Like I was the nicest guy in the world. And yet I knew deep down inside me was like this white, hot, murderous rage. And I was afraid to touch it, you know? And so, uh, that was, that was part of what I think was kind of unleashed in that moment. And I think that's one of the things that nice guys do is they sort of swing from one end of the pendulum to the other. Um, and they become really angry like that. Yeah. Um, what other kind of experiences have you guys had? Maybe he's working with a client or maybe 
you know, when you were talking about the anger as well, and I think a lot of nice guys kind of disassociate with the fact that, you know, they have a angry side. There's a deep inside of them. There's anger and rage and frustration. And you know, I remember uh, recently another a guy just said to me, he said, I'm so angry at the world. I'm so rageful at the world. It's like, why can't I attract these women? Why can't I be with these women? Why can't I have, you know, these things in my life? Whereas why is it so difficult for me and it's easy for everybody else? And you can see that this anger inside is driving him to behave in a certain way where he's over-accommodating, over-pleasing. And the moment he gets rejected or the moment, you know, a girl says, you know, I don't want this or she friend zones him, you know, boom, he flips the script and this is anger comes outside. And then he starts to berate her because it's like, well, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with you? And he, he goes into this, uh, I see like this victim kind of like, um, you know, vomit where he's not learned to balance himself. So he takes that really personally. So I see a lot of guys taking things personally and, and being enraged with that. Yeah. The, vi the victim puke. The victim puke. Oh, that comes out. It's so horrible. <laughs> so horrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so how did you guys learn to uh, temper the rage? How, how did that come about? That's a great question. And I think one of the things that was really helpful for me was, again, beginning in my journey, and this was before I was a therapist, I had a therapist who really pushed me around the idea of anger and feeling my anger and being okay with anger, um, learning to wield the anger as opposed to like, you know, going in you know, sort of like, you know, anger is like this power. It's like a sword, you know, and if you go in and you start swinging the sword around, you know, you're going to hack everybody up and you're going to, you know, cut yourself in the process and all that. Whereas when you become skilled with the sword, you can become surgical with this sword. And so anger is a similar kind of thing where it is this power. You can't repress it, but you can learn to wield it. Um, learn to bring it out when it's necessary, because there's part, there are good, there are good parts about being angry and rageful. I mean, if some guy's trying to break into your house and he's going to kidnap your children. It's like, you need that rage at that point. So it's not about repressing it. It's about learning how to use it and wield it in a way that empowers you rather than disempowers you. So I've spent a lot of time working on my nervous system, things with like yoga and meditation and things of that nature to sort of be friends with my anger. It's not, I don't avoid anger. I allow myself to feel it. And then I use it as the traction that's necessary for me to move forward. Maybe like if it's a conflict or having a, um, a difficult conversation with somebody, I can use that anger as energy to sort of build up the traction to go and have that, you know, and practice courage. Um, so it, I, I think a lot of it's with discipline, but primarily for me, it was just accepting the fact that, yeah, I'm fucking angry, you know? And that's just part of the human experience. It's not to be repressed. It's to be, it's, it, you learn to work with that power. Um, did you guys have a lot of, you know, shame around it? Because, you know, there was, there was like underneath, there was a lot of, you know, anger. And then you would, you know, find yourself going over the top with the boundaries, over going the top with saying no, and then find yourself, actually, I still feel shame and bad about this. 
and then I feel shame and bad about feeling, you know, like a walkover as well. Did you guys feel that? Never. Yeah, I just felt felt like a a, a <laughs> mystery how to how to titrate the anger. Like it, it just felt like I'm either going to be going overboard, I'll be the scary dude, or I'm going to be the the passive, weak, nice guy. So it, it took a while to just see that um, sort of a, a normal expression of anger or or dissatisfaction with someone would actually be received well, you know, and and then it becomes uh, um, becomes easier. Because you see, actually, people appreciate a normal expression of anger, and it doesn't seem so hard anymore. But at the, at the beginning, I, I think it just felt like, okay, no woman's going to want to hear my my real anger at her. You know, she's mm. going to be turned off. Um, so it it is easier than I thought. But the the other the other thing I think I I realized is not being attached to outcome was such a, a, a game changer. And when I was still married and, and wanting to keep my marriage together, you know, I, I, I felt like my attachment to that outcome made me feel out of control. Um, you know, cause ultimately the, the leverage I had was around, you know, my willingness to be in a relationship with this person. I don't know if I expressed that well, but it, it wasn't about keeping my family together. It was about, mm. you know, is this a relationship that's acceptable to me? And I, I could walk away. Mm. Uh, but that, that wasn't something that I was willing to see at the time. Yeah. No, I could definitely relate to what you were saying, Faisal. I think that that's kind of a cycle of where you, and typically happens, I think, with a lot of nice guys is where this is where the victim puke comes in, where you take it, you take it, you take it, you take it, and then you mm -hmm. victim puke on somebody, right? And then you feel this overwhelming sense of shame, and then you feel like you have to go back and make an apology. And I think one of the things that kept me from really accessing my anger and staying in the nice guy was I could sort of predict enough that if I said the things that I was thinking, it might feel good at the time, but I would, I knew that I would also have to go back and apologize and that I would feel shitty about it. And so that kept me from accessing the anger. And I think that part of the work that we have to do as men is we have to get in touch with that. So the anger is the shadow side of our psyche is anything we try to hide, anything we try to repress and anger is part of that. And it becomes like this monster, you know, that's underneath the surface that we're trying to keep caged up. And rather than denying the shadow, it's like we have to befriend it, we have to integrate it. And that's part of I think what Robert talks about in No More Mr. Nice Guys, the opposite end isn't a isn't a jerk, but it's an integrated man. And part of that integration then is taking those parts of ourselves that we don't that we hide, the shadow part and learning to integrate that and become, you know, to take full responsibility for our, those part that, that shadow part of ourselves. It's not something to be hidden. It's something to be useful. I like what you were um, saying about, you know, when the, when the monster comes out. So what was the kind of work that you guys uh, worked on? Because, um, 
Ari, um, Chuck, you mentioned something really interesting was the fact that it was your nervous system. Because I find when my nervous system is out, uh, I find myself going to one extreme, you know, easily. So I, you know, go to over-exaggerating or uh, being too authoritative or trying to enforce a boundary too much because my nervous system is completely hijacked and that's where I'm at. So is this the kind of like work you guys worked on? So you're not going to one extreme, but you're more, I would say, centered and having temperance on this? Yeah, absolutely. Um, practicing mindfulness meditation, that was a game changer for me. You know, learning to basically detox my feelings at the end of the day to kind of drop back into my body, out of my mind. Uh, that was a game changer for me. Um, go, going to the gym, developing, yeah. uh, you know, male friendships, men's groups. Those are the ways that I, I regulate myself now. Yeah, I think it's important to understand also just a little bit of neurobiology and how your brain works and that, you know, you're, your emotions and your memory are interconnected in the brain and the, in the limbic system of the brain. And you have your amygdala that works almost like a thermostat, you know? So the amygdala says, is this, is this, you know, do we need to go in fight or flight here? And let's say a typical thermostat is set on 70 degrees, right? And the temperature drops below 70 and the heater comes on. The amygdala is kind of the same way, but instead of being set on 70, it's set like on 80. So the temperature just has to drop below 80 and all of a sudden you go into that fight or flight. And so part of when I say, you know, recentering or resetting the nervous system is really taking that part of the brain, the amygdala part of the brain and recalibrating it so that it doesn't activate as quickly. And when it does you're able to maintain your composure around it. Now it doesn't work every single time. <laughs> Trust me, I've lost my shit. <laughs> but but I'm glad I'm glad is, you said that. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad okay. you said that. But the important thing is, well, you know, sometimes the temperature drops below 60 and it's going to come on, you know. I mean, like, that's the thing, right? Uh, but rather than you know, by working with things like Ari was saying with mindfulness and meditation and and things like kundalini yoga and um, different things that you can do that activate your nervous system. And then you get used to holding that space in your nervous system, then starts to reset that so that you don't have as big as of a reactions, or you're able to, like I said, take that power and wield it surgically, as opposed to like coming out and just like hacking everything up, but it takes work in practice and being mindful and continuously working on yourself to be able to maintain that. It's not, it's no more different than say bodybuilding or something. Once you stop, the muscles start to atrophy. And, and so it's a similar kind of thing. It's a, it's an emotional exercise. So you're telling me there's, you're telling me there's no magic pill, no magic pill. Well, you know, steroids, but that's just for your muscles. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there's no steroids for the emotional brain, unfortunately. Otherwise, I would have like the world's largest brain. You know, I, I think it's this is actually a good point. I mean, we could be on an antidepressant. We could be on various psychiatric medications, but it, it doesn't teach us these skills. My, my 
reduce the highs and lows, uh, take the edge off. But but these are skills you have to develop. There's there's no way around that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I would I would also say that probably depending on where you're at from a mental health like. I don't have a problem with psychotropic drugs and that kind of thing. I think that, you know, if you have a headache, you take an aspirin. So you can, if you have a brain that's chemistry is unbalanced, taking medication to rebalance that and recalibrate that isn't a weakness at all. But sometimes you need that little bit extra edge just so that you can start to uh, actually work with those parts of yourself. So don't, don't twist what I was saying, Chuck. Sorry, I just didn't want the people to get the, the wrong, wrong impression. <laughs> Are you angry right now? Did I piss you off? You seem a little upset. That was that was healthy, healthy anger. Yeah, that was that was setting the record straight. You were setting the record straight. You, you might get a text message from Ari in a minute. <laughs> I know. Fuck you, John. <laughs> so i just i thought what i would do here to sort of like close us out is just review the attributes of an integrated man this is from no more mr nice guy and i, I think having these nine things in front of you to work on these things oftentimes what happens i think as nice guys is we start trying to be the opposite of the nice guy and rather than being the opposite of a nice guy what we should do is try to take the attributes of the integrated man and apply that to our lives so number one is he has a strong sense of self and he likes himself just as he is he takes responsibility for getting his needs met number three he's comfortable with his masculinity and his sexuality number four he has integrity he does what's right not what's expedient Number five, he's a leader. He's willing to provide and protect for those that he cares about. He has a clear, direct, he's clear and direct and expressive of his feelings. Number seven, he can be nurturing and giving without caretaking or problem solving. Number eight, he knows how to set boundaries and it's not afraid to work through conflict. And number nine, he doesn't strive to be perfect or gain approval from others. Instead, he accepts himself just as he is, warts and all. And I, I love that list. It's something that I refer to oftentimes because the opposite of a nice guy isn't a jerk. It's an integrated man. And the integration is learning to love and accept all parts of ourselves, even the, the rageful parts of ourselves, the monstrous parts of ourselves, and integrate that into our psyche so that we become more balanced and healthy. Well, guys, we're about on time here, and I just wanted to say thanks for your input on today's show. Uh, just a reminder to those out there, if you're listening to this, um, check out episode 29. We did one a, a couple months ago about um, evolving beyond the nice guy into a high-valued man, and it's a, it's a little bit of a similar take, but how do you become a high-valued man? So check out that episode. If you're following us on YouTube, we'll put a link down here. If you're listening to us on all the other platforms, thanks again. Please remember to like and subscribe. And we'll see you guys next time on The Nice Guy Show. And I believe the next time, the next one, we're going to be talking about why do we like to be victims? Why does a nice guy love to be a victim? So be sure to check that out. And we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. You've been listening to The Nice Guy Show. 
the podcast that helps nice guys move past their insecurities and fears into the fullness of their masculine strength and confidence. Be sure to like and subscribe to our podcast and check out the website niceguyshow.com for more information on how to connect with Chuck and Faisal. Until next time, keep living your best life.